I want to welcome everyone listening to us on the, on the internet. And uh, why don't we turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 22. I want to uh, preach for a short time this morning on the subject of holiness. And uh, it must have been, must have been 10 million uh, messages on holiness preached in the world, don't you think? And, uh, but here's another one. Just some thoughts from me. I want to encourage you, you who follow Jesus Christ, I want to, inf- I want to encourage you uh, to, be, to be holy. I want to encourage you to be holy. Holiness will not be your default uh, position. You have to uh, change to be holy because the Bible says, does it not, the human heart is wicked above all things. And it's the heart that kind of, you know, motivates us. And the journey of the, of the Christian life is to know that you are, you've been made clean. So in God's sight, you are immediately holy upon receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. But then you begin the journey of cleaning up your act, if you like, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I want to encourage you today to be holy. And I want to share just a few thoughts from the, the passage in Gethsemane. Uh, normally a sort of an Easter reading, but um, anyway, it will, serve us, it will serve us today. Verse 39 of Luke 22, just, just four or five verses here. I, do, I want to read, not very much. It says this, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. I wonder how often you pray that. Uh, Maybe we should pray that much more. Anyway, verse 41. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, And prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. That's an amazing uh, set of three words there. Exhausted from sorrow. There may be somebody listening to me in the room or online And you are totally and utterly exhausted. You can't work out why. But it's possible to be exhausted just from sorrow. Stress. 
Verse 46. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Whenever somebody, a preacher, talks about holiness, uh, it's always awkward for every preacher because every preacher has got a journey to go on. Can you say amen? (laughs) So, uh, it's difficult. And also, to every audience, every Christian audience, that hears something about holiness, there are kind of two responses to it. One group don't like this stuff. And another group do, not because they are holy, but because they so want to be. And so I don't know if I'll really be able to impact that first group who don't really want to be holy. I've no idea if this can impact such a person, except by the grace of God. But I want to talk to people who, by and large, you really want to be right. You really want to live right. And yet you know that it's hard. Or you know that you're not 100% good at it. In fact, you know you're not 50% good at it. And if God, who sees the secrets of all our hearts, uh, was asked, he may not find us even 1% good at it. But for those who desire to live a different life, we're not talking about a life of religion and ritual We're not talking about a life of legalism, but a life where our hearts are holy and desire to do the will of God as revealed in his word. Uh, This message, I hope, will encourage you. So what do we we learn from this, I've called it this Gethsemane passage. What does it teach us? What could we draw from it to teach us about Holiness, both in the Bible and also today. Here goes. Number one. Holiness can be a a bit lonely. It's really interesting that in the garden, you know what's happening in the garden, don't you? The book of Genesis chapter 3 is being rewritten. Genesis chapter 3 is being rewritten in the garden. There was once a man who entered a garden. Uh, He was called Adam. And that man suffered incredible temptation to do a will that was not the will of God. And, And he fell. He received great temptation to do something that was not the will of God, he decided not to do the will of God. He and she decided not to do the will of God. Although in Romans, Paul very much blames Adam, not Eve. And that man fell. Here, Jesus enters another garden. And if you like, he's going to rewrite Genesis chapter 3. He's going to rewrite human history. And he is going to be the, the last man, the second Adam. He is going to be in a garden. He's going to be tempted in every possible way to the point where sweat becomes blood. I tell you, that's being tempted, isn't it? 
and he is going to do the will of the Father. It's no coincidence that both settings are in a garden. Christ went into the desert in the early part of his ministry, just like Israel did in their history. And all the things that Israel failed to do in the 40 years in the desert, Christ went into a desert and for 40 days he was able to achieve or obey all the things that Israel had failed to do in the desert. And now he enters a garden. Now he's entering, if you like, a kind of an Eden again. And now he is going to do what Adam did not do. He is going to obey the will of God, even if it costs him. I don't know whether you understood that about Gethsemane before. But what we notice, first of all, is this. That he's very much on his own. He's very much on his own. Although there were others with him, essentially he is alone. And we discover in a moment, don't we, that they fell asleep. Holiness is something that others can encourage in you. Something that you can draw strength from in terms of a community like a church or like your family. But ultimately, holiness is something that you are going to do or not do. Or you are going to live or not live. It's going to be something that you are going to choose to do. Because no matter who you hang around with, and I've preached a hundred times how important it is to have the right people in your life. I'm not going to go over that again. But it is essential to have the correct people that you hang around with as far as it's in your power to do so, of course. But when you clear all that away and all their influence away, ultimately, you walk with God by yourself, don't you? You are the one who closes your eyes at night and you are just you, even if you're married. And there she is or there he is next to you. It's really about you. And you're going to find, those of you who really want to, to live right, And by that I mean having the right attitude of heart, speaking kindly, being optimistic, not being a gossip, not being a liar, not being a cheat, not being full of pride. All these these kinds of things that come out of the human heart. We know, don't we, Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, it's what comes out of him. And out of the overflow of Of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. You want to know if you're holy or not? Just listen to yourself. Just listen to yourself. Record yourself. And and we're not even going deep there because we can't record what's going on in your head or in my head. But you get a pretty good idea what's going on inside someone's head by what they say. The way they talk. Holiness ultimately is something that's quite lonely. It's something that only you can really walk in. And what's interesting is this. It says in my version here that Jesus went further than them 
And it says that he went a stone's throw away from them. Now, I'm not going to get too excited about this, but it's just so interesting that it was a stone's throw away. Because actually, the truth is this, that if you really decide that you're going to live the Christian life properly, you're going to find that some of the people who are going to throw stones at you are not going to be the world. It's going to be other Christians who are going to do that. Who are going to say to you, well, let's not go too far. You know what the definition is, we've said it many times, of a fanatic. The definition of a fanatic in the church is someone who loves Jesus a bit more than me or you. Someone who goes a bit further than us. And if you're around someone and you find yourself saying something like, I probably shouldn't say this, but... Here's, here's a newsflash for you. You probably shouldn't say it. And so what you'll find if you want to live right, and I mean really right, in your heart, not just religious nonsense, but genuinely living right, not just putting on a Christian mask to go into Christian environments, and then back it comes off when you leave them, But if you're genuinely going to walk with God, you have to do it alone. I mean, alone with Him, but you have to do it alone. And some of the people who won't like it will be other other Christians who may, and you might be glad that you're a stone's throw away from them. Number two, holiness is not spoilt by you being honest or you being tempted. Here is the Son of God himself and the greatest act of God's will is about to uh, be implemented which is that Christ is going to go to the cross. He's known about it for many, many years. He told his disciples very early on, you're going to see the Son of Man, he's going to suffer. So this, this revelation didn't just come to him in the garden. He'd known for a while that he was going to go to the cross. He knew that it was the will of God, the will of his Father. And yet here, in the garden, this most extraordinary thing happens. For anyone who does not believe that Christ was a human being such as we are, this verse should be enough to satisfy that Because he says to his father, is there some other way? Now I want to be careful what I say here. But in order to show us what holiness is and what it isn't, we must understand this verse. Christ was tempted to disobey his father. There's no question of that. He was tempted to disobey his father. And if you want a little bit of extra proof that that's the case, he tells his disciples right at the beginning, pray that you will not fall into temptation, verse 40. And then verse 46, he says to them again, wake up and pray, get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. 
What do you think is going on inside Jesus' head then? He is being tempted to disobey his father. And, and rather than this shocking us, it actually should, maybe it should create a shock wave of liberation among us because it's not sin to be tempted. Holiness is not spoilt by, by temptation. There are times when I might be tempted to say something or do something that's wrong. And in those moments, do you know what can happen? I can feel to myself, you know what, Pete? You're not quite there at all. Because if you were really holy, that thought wouldn't even come into your mind. But that can't be true, can it? Because Jesus, says the writer to the Hebrews, was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. It is not a sin to be tempted. You are always going to be tempted. Now, admittedly, if you are tempted to shoot people with a gun, your sanctification is fairly early on. If you're tempted to go out and rob a bank this afternoon, which is much easier to do because they are shut. In case someone says, well, they're not, they're not open, actually. If you're tempted to, to be involved in international terrorism or, or major crime, uh, uh, admittedly, maybe you need to become born again. But aside from some of these, you know, very large things, of course, throughout the whole of your life, you're going to be tempted. The temptation is not the problem. The problem is your decision to follow that. And so it's kind of freeing up the thought that actually temptation is not sin because Christ himself is suffering it here. The other thing that holiness is not spoilt by, is honesty. What have I put here in my notes? Shameful honesty. I couldn't quite have a word there, but it's like, it's, it's like Jesus. If you were really being tempted not to go to the cross, did you really have to tell us? Did you really have to let that come out of your mouth? Because we thought you were Superman. We thought you wanted to die. We thought you wanted to suffer. We thought you wanted to be lacerated. But of course he didn't. There was a time I was in North Wales. And I went for a little walk along the beach. I can see myself now, just down on the sand or near the sand. And I was just walking along the beach. The road was here. The sea was here. And I, I, I remember just going out. I just wanted to pray as I walked around. And I recognized something had happened to me in recent months. This is a few years ago. Maybe five years ago. Or so. I, just, I, just, I remember feeling that I just wasn't the man that I had been. That I, the, there were attitudes I was exhibiting and 
things I was saying that just weren't right. And they, they, they were new, you know, or I feel like they were old and they'd come back. And I, I, wasn't, I wasn't very holy. I wasn't very holy at all. And I walked down and I remember standing looking at the sea coming in, you know, and just walking along, praying and avoiding dogs, you know, the stuff you do if you pray on the and things that dogs may even have left for me to see. I remember praying this. I said, oh God, uh, I need you to soften my heart because I'm as hard, I've gone all hard. And I'm hard to man and I'm hard to God. And I don't want to be hard. I certainly don't want to be hard to God. I don't want to be hard to man if I, uh, if I can avoid it. Lord, will you? And I began to pray David's prayers. It's Psalm 51. Lord, will you create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me, and grant me as a version, it's one of the newer versions, it says, uh, grant me a heart that leaps to obey you. Something like that. I think the King James says, you know, a, 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 will, a willing spirit or something. And I, I remember praying this. And do you know what? It was amazing. An amazing feeling of standing on a beach talking to the Lord like Abraham did with God and saying, God, I'm actually a bit of a shambles at the moment. And yet it was the most holy thing of all. To be able to say to God, I am in a mess. Because God knew that anyway, didn't he? So I want to encourage you who, you who want to be holy, you who want to live right and have a good heart. Number one, you're going to have to do it all by yourself. And number two, you're going to face temptation, but that's not going to spoil your holiness. And I encourage you, just be very, very honest with God. Say, Lord, I really, and maybe you need to do that today. Say, Lord, I'm just not where I want to be at all in, in my heart. I'm not where I want to be at all. Things are wrong. You just have to hear me talk. And you know things are not right. Number three. Holiness pivots around the human decision that truly believes that God's way is best. What do you mean by that? Holiness is not something that God is going to do to you. And I'm going to pick up on this in the just my fourth point, final point in a moment. When you see someone behaving, living the holy life, I, I guarantee you one thing. They are choosing to be like that. Can you say amen? They are choosing to be like that. For years, I wanted God to come upon me in power and change me into something else. 
And maybe you prayed like that about you or indeed me. Lord, will you come upon me, Lord? Will you put your fire on me? Change me. Now, that's a good prayer, by the way. That's a really good prayer. I really upset someone in a previous church. Uh, I'm going back 15 years ago. But I used to pray all the time, Oh God, change me. Change me. I want to be like you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I want to be like you. I want to walk like you. Oh, stop it now. <laughs> Talk like you. Ooh. I did. Oh God, change me. Change me. But the problem was that I thought everyone else wanted that. I was wrong. And I remember this poor guy came out for prayer once. And he stood at the front wanting prayer in the midst of, we were having a sort of a revival at the time. So I came down and I grabbed hold of him. Oh God, his name was Colin, I remember. Oh God, change him. Change him. Do you know what? He had to have an appointment with a senior pastor. Peter doesn't like me. Why would he pray that? Doesn't he like me? Actually, what I found is this. So it has to happen in the human eye. You have to agree with God's word that this is right and that you are wrong. If you don't do that, you ain't going nowhere with this. You have to agree with God's word that talking about people is wrong or gossip is wrong. Or laziness is wrong. Or deception, lying is wrong. You have to know that yourself. And you have to agree with God's word that these things are wrong. And you have to think they are wrong. And then you have to live like you think they're wrong. Even when you're tempted. To do something else. There are clearly times. When Christians think that God has made a mistake. Clearly. Because the way they live. Is contrary to this. And so when they live contrary to this. What they're saying is. God weighs our best. Most of the time. But on this occasion. I have to lie to my supervisor. It's the only way. Or God's ways are best most of the time, but so-and-so in the church is a nightmare and I have special dispensation from God to talk about them. Because you don't agree with the word of God. I want to tell you this, sin is your enemy. It is not your friend. And until you know that sin is your enemy, you won't be free of it. When you think that maybe it will assist you, help you. Maybe it can be part of you and make you sort of what you are. I tell you, for as long as you have those ideas, you're finished as far as holiness is concerned. 
Jesus decided that he was going to trust his father. Jesus decided that what God said was right. And what he had in his heart, his emotions, which were to get himself out of the trouble he was going to be in, those emotions had to kneel down, bow the knee to the will of God. So I said, well, I, I don't know what the will of God is. Well, you just have to go and buy a Bible and read it, and there it all is. Oh, God, will you change me? It's amazing. Jesus said, on one occasion, he was talking about adultery and sexual immorality. A huge problem in the early church, a huge problem in the modern church. He was talking about sexual immorality and he said this, if you have something that offends you, cut it off. He did not say pray that God will cut it off. He did not say pray that it will fall off. He said, you cut it off. And you can come to the front of a church or a conference a thousand times and say, oh God, Cut it off. Cut it off. God says, I, I don't have the scissors. You got them. You cut it off. Lord, I'm in a wrong relationship. You cut it off. Don't wait for God to move them to Swansea. Oh God, if this relationship is right. Lord, if it's wrong, move them. Move them, Lord, I pray to Scotland. No, you cut it off. You do it. That's why it's hard. But that's when your heart has to agree that the word of God is right. Something amazing happens. Verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. And then something amazing happens. Verse 43, let's read it. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. I have to give credit to Jane. Jane showed me this. She was just reading the, her Bible in bed one night. She said, look at this. When did the angel strengthen him? When? After he'd made the decision. Afterwards, afterwards, please say afterwards. It was afterwards. That doesn't seem quite right. Well, I want God to strengthen me to make the decision. No, no, I'm afraid not. Oh, God will strengthen you at all times. But once you have made the decision to be holy, then the power to be holy will be with you. Can I just say something that maybe you haven't thought about before? I'm going to say something you might think that's strange. Let me qualify a bit, help you. Before you go, that can't possibly be right. I want to say this. As a con now, I wouldn't wear this as a thing on, on a, on a T-shirt because it needs explanation. But I have the opportunity to explain it to you, which I'm going to. The power of God does not change anyone's life. Now, what do we mean by that? Because surely that's what we preach all the time. 
No, not exactly. It is possible to be under the incredible power of God, to have encounters with the power of God, but not be changed. So the power of God does change people's lives, but it does not automatically change people's lives. You want some examples? Let's, let's go with Moses. Let's start with Moses. Would you agree that Moses had an encounter with God? I think so. He did. At 80 years old, God spoke to him from a burning bush. By the time I get to 80, uh, I have an encounter with God. I wish I brought my glasses, probably. But he had an encounter with God. He went up the mountain. And the fire came down. Right? On another occasion, he says, Lord, show me your glory. And God says, I'm going to cause my goodness to pass before you. And he hides Moses in a rock. And the back, the back of God walks by. Right? You know the passage? The back of God walks by. Moses had an encounter with God so strong that when he came down the mountain, his face was shining, correct? So, you know, he really did meet God. He didn't just go to some charismatic convention. He really met God. He really did. But within a stone's throw of the promised land, he loses his temper. strikes. Noah knew the Lord. Noah knew the Lord so well, he was able to give him dimensions of a boat. But we find him drunk a few chapters later. Elijah stood on Mount Carmel, correct. Called down fire, correct. Worked mighty miracles, But the next day, he's all depressed. And not depressed in a, in a clinical way. Not depressed in a medical way. But depressed in a sullen, childish way. Hiding away. Judas Iscariot was one of the Students of Jesus Christ. Judas Iscariot took bread and fish to a crowd of thousands and it was multiplied in his unclean hands. Laid hands upon the sick and saw them healed was one of the group that returned to Christ in Luke chapter 10 and says, Lord, even the demons submit to us. He healed the sick. He cast out devils. He saw the wonders of God greater than anyone in this room. But it didn't change his evil heart. And we hear of him dipping his hand 
into the offering bag. Right? So now you understand what I mean when I say this. The power of God does not change someone's life. Not necessarily. When does the angel come and touch Christ and strengthen him? After he has made a decision, I will serve the Lord. My heart will be his. I will do his bidding. I will agree that he is smarter than I. And I will do his word. I will do his word. The moment you make your decision. And wasn't it fabulous, those of you who are here, what Steve Parsons said a couple of weeks ago when he talked about repentance being a walk and not a moment. And what we've done with repentance is we've turned it into a moment. Come and repent now. So people come and they cry and they call upon God and they, they repent. But repentance is not a moment. Uh, it, every walk begins with a moment. But it's not a moment. It's a walk. It's a walk. And if you want to repent, you have to do more than just have the moment. It's the equivalent of saying, I'm going for a walk today. A five-mile walk and simply putting on your boots. Say, so, yeah, I've done it, look. No, no, the, uh, you need to put your boots on. But then you have to walk. You have to go do it. And that's what many of us have done. Me, you. It's what many of us have done. We said, Lord, I don't like this thing about me. I'm going to repent. And we come and we do. We have a moment of prayer. And, we do, and it's good. And we mean it, don't we? Don't we mean it? Boy, we mean it. We saturate ourselves in a conference atmosphere, a camp even, you know, like the kids were on not, not, not so long ago. And, we, and we, we surround ourselves in that. But all we're doing really is putting our boots on in that moment. We, then we've got to go walk it. Then we've got to go walk it. But I promise you this, if you'll go walk it every day, that angel will come and strengthen you every day. That heavenly power will strengthen you every day. So I want to encourage you. This whole story begins with Jesus going for prayer. And so let us, let's finish by just considering that, of course. All of holiness stems from our ability to meet with God and to make decisions in his presence that we're going to carry out and draw upon his power. You should never be caught out in your daily life with a sudden decision to make about holiness. You should have made those decisions back at base before you left the house. Right? Before you left your bed. You make the decisions, this is what I'm going to do in this circumstance. And then when the spontaneous challenge arises, you are as immovable as a rock.
And while you may be tempted by the circumstances or even by the devil, the truth is the devil doesn't need to do much tempting today. Because uh, as James says, each one is tempted when by their own evil desires they're led away and enticed. So, so a lot of it is just really down to us. Someone said, well, the devil uh, tempted me. You look, on, you look on the Google cameras, he was nowhere near you. It was you or me. No, we have to make a decision back at base. And so when we go into the war, we go into the battle, we're ready. We've already been with Father. We've already drawn upon his heavenly power. We've already made up our mind that God's way is best. And we're going to obey the word. So I've finished. Let me encourage you just with these thoughts. Those who want to better their hearts, not better your lives, but better your hearts. One, it can be lonely. Don't be surprised if you don't get a lot of support. So surround yourself with the right people. But ultimately, it's something that only you can do. Number two, holiness isn't spoiled by you being honest or by you being tempted. And thank God for that. Number three, holiness really is all about you deciding that, God, that God's word is the right way to live. And number four, upon your decision to do that, his power will strengthen you to fulfill all that he requires.